Come into the holy holies. Lord, we worship you. Thank you, Jessica. Appreciate that. Thank you, Noah, for getting us off to a good start, focusing on the Lord, the blood of Christ. And since uh, Corky opened us with Psalm 139, might as well just preach on it while we're here, right, Corky? Just happened to have some notes on that psalm this morning. Either that or my computer's been hacked, one, one or the other. So. <clears throat> you can assure me you didn't hack the computer? Okay. Well, good morning. On our uh, Today is uh, Lord's Supper Day where we, we uh, celebrate communion, Holy Communion together. And we start a little bit of a tradition to break from our regular book of the Bible um, that we preach through to preach on the Psalms. We've done a lot of different topics, but we've been on the Psalms for a while. Of course, there's a lot of Psalms. We'll never cover them all. But I just kind of pray and seek God and, and uh, ask Him, Lord, what can we learn this month from the Psalms and the psalmists whom you've inspired? And um, they didn't just write God's Word, but they put it to music. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is a popular psalm. And some people know it as the search me psalm. It's where, as Corky opened up this morning, the, uh, David says, search me, O God. Look into my heart. Search me. Uh, let me know. Bring to my awareness if there's anything in my heart that's offensive to you. And the idea is that apparently David thinks that God knows him and his own heart better than David knows it. Otherwise, why would he ask for help? And we'll look a little bit at that this morning. The psalm is also um, known as a very powerful pro-life psalm. Because this is the psalm that says, God, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You made me. And so a lot of times we, we turn to this to... Help people understand the purpose of life and the meaning of life and the significance of life and how you are specifically created by God. But I want to add another option for you to consider this psalm to be known as, and that is the Omni Psalm. Because in this psalm, we also see the very character of God. We see three powerful attributes of God. And that is we the omni is uh, means all. And so in this psalm we see that God is uh, all powerful. He's all knowing and he's everywhere all or everywhere present. We see this as David writes these words. There's a lot, you know, God is a he's a deep God. He's he has a lot of characteristics and theologians say some of them are communicable. We can relate to him like his love and his mercy. Yeah, I can kind of get that. And some are incommunicable like the omnis. So there's such there's things about God that are such on another level that it's hard for us to even grasp. Uh, how can God be so incredible? And David is trying to grasp with this idea that God is all-powerful. There's nothing He can't do. And He's all-knowing. There's no knowledge hidden from the sight in any realm of this created order. And He's everywhere present. 
And so he's wrestling with what this means to him. And that's what we do in our Christian life. We, we study God's word. We look at God's truths and we come with a conviction that what God says is reliable and it's true. And so um, we have to take God's truths and embrace them into what we thought was real or what we thought was true about God or ourselves about this world. So the Bible constantly challenges us to realign our reality and our knowing with what God reveals as objective truth. And that's what David is doing in this psalm. This doctrine has affected him deeply. He's wrestling with it. And perhaps this doctrine, this truth from God's word, will, will affect us deeply this morning, and we'll have to wrestle with it. So we want to be thinking about, God, what do you have for this, or for me in this? How can this word help me exalt you? How can it help me edify my brothers and sisters in Christ? And how can this psalm and the truths that we find here help me evangelize the lost? There's 24 verses. I'm going to read the entire psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before. And lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet... There was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. 
Very, very powerful song. And it's filled with doctrinal truth about the character of God. One thing I appreciate about this church, New Covenant Fellowship, is that you have a love for God's truth. Many of you spend hours and hours a week diving into it, trying to mine its depths. And in our bulletin, we have truths from the royal treasury. We see God's word as something very, very sweet and precious and and valuable. Doctrine, which is the accumulation or taking the truths out of God's word and compiling them into principles and beliefs of what God says. Doctrine is important to us as it comes from God's word. And I appreciate that attribute about this church. It's a very encouraging to me as a pastor that you love God's word so much and hunger for it. It's not like that everywhere. There are those that that think doctrine really gets in the way of knowing God. Doctrine can be used, of course, to divide. It's used wrongly. Its intent is to create unity. Sometimes people say doctrine is important. But doctrine is, pull, is pulled right out of God's word. That's where we get it. It's, it's the set of beliefs based on what God teaches. To say that doctrine isn't important is actually a doctrine. Because doctrines are what you believe. It's your values. It's your set of beliefs. And the Christian doctrine takes their set of beliefs right out of God's mouth. So we can't really say doctrine is worthless. We have it. It's among us. You can't escape it. So we might as well try to get it right (laughs) and look at God's word. Let's just get it right. Let's just do it well. Look at what God has to say and and apply it rightly. Mine it correctly in our lives and in our culture. I really think that's what David's doing as he pens these words. He's just he's very pensive. He's thinking about the profound truths that God has revealed about himself. I mean, God can do anything. He knows everything. And there's no place that you can go that God will not be. I mean, what does that mean to you this morning? Have you ever taken the time like David to just really think about these omnis or the fact that God is all in all? Well, I want to just, as my first point, kind of do an overview of the psalm. And each of these doctrines in the what I would call the omni attributes of God. And first, I want to look at the first six verses, which teach about the fact that God is omnipresent or everywhere present or all present. I'm sorry, omniscient. I, I, I got I, need, I really need to bring my glasses up here in the pulpit. I was just telling Corky that this morning. Um. The, the day will come and it's not far off where I've got to because there's times where I I finish my sermon and I realize I've missed quite a bit of it because I can't I can't see everything as clearly as I'd like to. But the first six verses tell us about God's omniscience. So he is all knowing. His his knowledge is vast. His knowledge is unlimited. Uh, he, he knows everything. There's nothing hidden from his scope of knowledge. He knows facts. He knows experiences. He knows feelings. He comprehensively knows things that we're not even privy to. 
that we wouldn't even imagine existed. And his knowledge is infinite. His knowledge is inescapable. Nothing can hide from it. And, and David realizes that if God, if that's true, and God knows everything that there is to know about everything, then God certainly knows about me. He knows everything there is to know about me. He knows what I'm doing. He knows what I would rather be doing when I'm doing this. He knows what I'm saying. He knows when I say it. He knows what I'm going to say next before I often know what I'm going to say. He knows what I'm going to write. He knows all the psalms and songs that I will write and lead my people Israel in through the years. He knows what truly motivates us. Knowledge is his way. And the fact that God is all knowing is just way beyond us. And yet it's true. And we live with this. Nothing is hidden from God's knowledge. And so he teaches us that in the first six verses. And then verses seven through twelve, we learn about God's omnipresence. He's everywhere present. Just like his knowledge, there's no limit to it. His presence is inescapable. And David gets theatrical, if you will. He, he's really thinking about this. Okay, so if like I went way up into the heavens as far as you could possibly go, if I were able to do that, it didn't matter how far up I made it, God would be there. And then if I went completely in the opposite direction, went way down into the depths of the earth where man has never seen or explored, if I could make it there, God would be there too. I mean, if I could wake up on the East Coast and take a plane to the West Coast and fly all day, God was there when I woke up and he'd be there waiting for me on the West Coast. Circle the globe, no matter where I could go. At any given time, God's there. He, that's the kind of God. It's an attribute that he has. He's omnipresent. He knows everything. And he's everywhere. And then in verses 13 through 18, we learn about his omnipotence. And it's not as prominent of a theme here in this psalm, but it's there. He's all powerful. Because... In David's application of God's power, we learn that God makes things. He is powerful enough to just make things out of nothing. And that's what Genesis teaches us by fiat, by the spoken word. God brings things into existence. That's how powerful he is. And David zeroes in just on his own life. And he's thinking about how did I even come to be? Well, God made me. Intricately made me. He, he created the cells and he created the cells to work with one another and every organ and every blood vessel and everything in the human body. He just put it all together in his infinite wisdom. He makes things to function, to live in harmony. And he did all of this without my knowledge. He knit me together. Every fiber. And he even made my inward parts, David says. He's talking about my soul, like who I am as a person. God has his hand in that. It's not just a physical shell, but who we are. He gives, he gives personalities. 
He gives gifts. He gives talents. He gives ability. He gives identity. His power never stops. David's like, you were there in the beginning before I was even created. You were there in the process of it. And you're and you're here with me now and even beyond. You know exactly where I will be and your power is all in that you've mapped out my days. It's not just knowing what my days are going to look like by looking in the future, but you map them out by your sovereign, powerful hand. You write the story. That's power that God can do that. And he doesn't just map it out but and create things, but Hebrews tells us he sustains all things by the power of his word. I mean, everything that, that is being sustained in the created order right now is being held in place by this incredible, incredibly powerful God. And then right in the middle of David's contemplation, you almost think, well, he may have suffered from ADD because he's talking about the omnis and how wonderful God is and how powerful. And then he's like, and God, those enemies, I hate them. They're bloodthirsty and they're evil. Right in the middle of this beautiful, lofty song. You think, what is going on there? How does this fit in here? When he says, slay the wicked, those bloodthirsty men, I hate them. They hate you. I hate them for hating you. They're my enemies. Did he lose his train of thought? Well, in in thinking and contemplating about the character of God and how powerful he is, he realizes, you know, if you're that powerful, there's some injustice in this world. There There are evil people in this world, and I pray you would get them. That you would get them, God, that you would use your powers to get your enemies. It's not right. You're a worthy God. They shouldn't say these things about you. And they shouldn't be pestering and be after your people all the time to deter them from bringing you the glory that you deserve. Get them, God. And we think, well, it's, it looks like it doesn't fit, but it does fit because God's a holy God and he's and he's powerful enough to do something about it. And so, David, like we often do, I mean, does a day go by where you haven't considered the evils that happen in our world? And, and hopefully it provokes us. It's right. So often in the Psalms, you see an outrage or a burst of outrage against injustices and evil that happens in the world. And that's a good thing. It's a right thing for us to be upset and to be disturbed about the fact that things aren't just bad, but they're really bad sometimes. And people do really wicked, evil things. It should disturb us. As a matter of fact, if it ever gets to the point where it doesn't disturb us, then we are really in trouble as a society. When the norm is reading about rape or the norm is reading about abuse or the norm is reading about this church was bombed or this synagogue or this mosque was bombed, terrorism, if, if that just becomes our normal, then we are really in trouble as a society. But God is a holy God and he's a powerful God and these things do bother him and he is doing something about him. And and David is just he's he's crying out for God's justice to be done here. We just have to be careful, of course, on this side of the cross, how we go about battling evil and handling our enemies. We overcome evil with good and we pray for them. We, we forgive 
them. But God is holy and just, and it is right for us to pray that these things would stop. It's hard for us to see what we see in our culture today. God, put evil in its proper place. We know you're doing it. Put evil in this situation in its proper place. You're powerful enough to do that. So if you take just the whole overview of this psalm and things that David is wrestling with, things that he is saying about his God, you know, the bottom line, I think, of the nature of God, at least as revealed in this psalm, is this. You cannot escape him. If God's all those omnis, you cannot escape him. What do you do with a God like that? I mean, where can you go? Physically or even in your thought life? To get out from the gaze or the knowing or the consciousness of this God. No matter what you know, He knows more. No matter where you go, He's already there. No matter how indomitable or fragile things are, He's all-powerful. He can fix what's broken and He can break what needs to be broken. So, the reality of this truth is that there is no escaping this God. There's no outsmarting this God. There's no ducking Him. There's no even like for a brief second of time in our lives overpowering this God. We have to face Him for who He is. Timothy Keller puts it like this. If you take hold of a blade, a real sharp blade end of a knife uh, in your hand, you're going to get cut. It's sharp enough. And he says, because the being of the blade, the essence or the being of it, of the blade, it's harder and sharper of an essence than the essence of your hand or the being of your hand or what your hand is made out of. It's just, and so it's going to damage your hand, your hand is going to give way to that blade. And he says, God's being is, is the sharpest and hardest substance there is. It's the hardest being in the universe and everyone must give way to it. We just have to give way to it. We're not anywhere near that league or that caliber to be able to resist it because his being is so much higher than ours. We're created. We're under Him. So God is, He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing and He's everywhere present. And then on our second point, we see how this begins to sink into David's heart and he gets, he's terrified by this knowledge. Part of it actually sobers him and, and dampens him. So after teaching these, he's reckoning with this. And he, he's so kind to share with us how he wrestles with these truths. He's wrestling with the thoughts of his heart. He's putting it to words into song. And we get to see kind of his highs and lows as he wrestles with the impact of this upon his very heart. And what we find here is that these truths scare him a little bit. Scare him. And verse 6 says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. And that word wonderful, we think, wow, God, you're so awesome. You're so great. Go, God, you're so smart. 
And that, it, but that doesn't really do it justice. That's not exactly what David's saying here. And the way that word is used in, in other places and nuance that it carries with it isn't that, oh, just God, you're just so wonderful, but it also means overwhelming to the point of being hard to deal with, like dif- difficult. Like what, what I'm learning about you, wow, it is absolutely incredible, but as I think about it, it's bringing this new awareness that's causing difficulty in my life, knowing this about you. It's so wonderful that it's causing problems. I'm not sure what to do with this information. I'm not sure what to do with this truth. But the God that you are and how it affects me. It's, it's, it's making me very self-conscious, this idea that you know everything I'm thinking all the time. And that you see everything I do that I hide from other people. It's unnerving me. Yeah, it's great, but I don't know that I like it all the time. Especially if your gaze is aimed at me. And it reminds me of how new things bring a new awareness into our minds and our bodies. And it, it will alter the way we look at life. It will alter the way we used to look at things. So you think of the, the typical high school boy. You know, teenagers, high school, they're pretty aware of the male and female and all that stuff. They're pretty aware of each other. So he... Uh, he, he's in this class at high school and one of his friends says, man, I found this note. Those girls left it in the desk. They didn't realize it and I got it. And guess what? I have some juicy news for you. Uh, Sabrina, she likes you. And so he's like, wow, this is wonderful news. I mean, who doesn't like to be liked? She sees something in me that she likes. I love this Wonderful, wonderful news. And he's just on cloud nine. Then he thinks about this new truth. And he has a new awareness. I wonder what she likes about me. Does she like my, is it my grunge look? Or if I washed my hair, would she like me even more? And then he goes to class the next day. And she sits over here. And he's thinking like, well, what is she thinking of me right now? Does she think I'm smart? Should I tell more jokes in class? So he's aware of this. Should Maybe it's my smile. Should I just kind of like look back and lock eyes? Should I, or maybe she doesn't even like my smile. What about me does she not like? What do I do if I meet her in the hall now? This new information has rocked his world. How far do I go with this? How do I respond? He's very, very self-conscious. He's wondering, what can I do to make her like me even more? What do I have to change about myself so that I don't turn her off? He's overwhelmed with this information that he knows. It's difficult for him become difficult, overwhelming. David's like, man, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with who God is. Just overwhelmed that he knows all this about me. I'm under his gaze. He's watching me. Wow. Well, I, I can't do anything without him seeing it or knowing it. I can't drift off to sleep. I mean, if I have a dream and I can't even control when it was a bad dream, he knew about it. He knows about it. He knows how I wake up. 
He knows what I think about everything. He knows what I think about my parents when they try to tell me what to do. He knows what I'm thinking about the preacher when he's preaching a sermon. He knows everything that funnels through my thoughts. Nothing escapes him. Not a single day, not even a nanosecond. You can't get away from him. He sees all the good, but he sees all the bad. And even if I just like tell 99% of the truth, but that 1% was a partial, I took credit I shouldn't have. He knows that. Nobody else does. I get away with so many things. I can't get away with it with God. And he knows when I'm questioning him. He knows when I say I believe in him and I have faith in him and I really don't. He knows what kind of or level of faith that I have. He, I mean, he just probes me. He's probing me all the time. What do I do with that? He can get to us. This kind of stuff gets to us because we like our space. We like our little secret places. It overwhelms us to think that, that, there, that there's a person or a being that doesn't give us our little private spot or private thought, private moment in our head. What if I just want, I mean, we're, we live in God's universe and he created all and it's all his and all for his glory, everything. But what if I just want some of it, some of the time to be about me? And when scripture tells me to be mindful of this God so I can bring him glory, I mean, how exhausting is that to be mindful of God in everything I do? And then he knows if I'm not. He knows when I slip in and out. See, when we, we discover the rock solid truths about God, it sounds wonderful and it is wonderful, but it's also terrifying. Because, you know, sometimes I just want to not be bothered with. I don't want to have to think about all this stuff and wrestle with it. I want a little, just a little teeny nook, just big enough for me to fit in in this world where the gazing eyes are not. It's a private moment. Because bad thoughts happen. And bad things happen. And I just don't want everybody knowing about them all the time. I need some me, some me time. What happened in the garden in the fall? Adam and Eve believe this terrible lie from the enemy. And it's time for their cool of the day walk with God. And where are Adam and Eve? They're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. This new awareness that sin brought into their lives. I can't be bare. I can't be bare before you, God. We have to change the way we relate. We relate. I mean, you got to give me some warning if, when you're coming so I can hide and cover myself up. I can't stand to be so vulnerable where you can see everything about me anymore. The relationship has got to change. I got many fig leaves as, fig leaves as I can put upon myself to cover myself up. It's that vulnerability. So he hides. We like to hide. Need a little privacy. 
can't see me like that, God. I need a place to go because I'm not in control. I kind of want to control what people can know about me and what they don't. I don't want them to know about me. If I can control it, then I'm all right. I can't control God. So it's unnerving. Perhaps you took a philosophy course in uh, high school or college. If you do, you're going to um, study existentialism. And there's a little article by uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, existential philosopher, that he wrote in this essay about meaning this and nothing. If you want to get lost in thought, you can read some existential philosophy. But he wrote this essay called Being and Nothingness. And it's very interesting. He says, "Um, I'm looking through a keyhole. And I'm enjoying it because I'm spying on somebody. I'm seeing him and they don't even know I'm looking. I'm an unviewed viewer. So I see what they're doing, but they don't even know I'm watching. Boy, am I enjoying it. Suddenly, I hear a sound. And I realize there's somebody looking through a keyhole at me, looking through a keyhole. I suddenly realize my unviewed viewing is being viewed by an unviewed viewer. And, you know, it is fun. It, don't do it. It's against the law to be a peeping Tom and to spy on people. But it's fun to catch people doing things and they don't even know that you're looking because, you are you know, you act a little different when you think you're alone, right? You sing a little louder and dance those moves and stuff and that you wouldn't do in public. And it's just so it's so fun when they don't even know it. But then, then if you get caught, you know, it's it's dehumanizing. It's deflating. Oh, I, I didn't want you to see me. That was not meant for you to see. Depending on how embarrassing it was. Right. It's deflating. It's disempowering, especially if it's something that really, really was meant to be private. And it's like for David, it's like, God, you're looking through. Every keyhole of my life. I can't be free. I'm enslaved to your gaze. I'm enslaved to this. There's nowhere I can I can go. And I know you don't approve of everything. And now I, I'm stuck and I have to live with the guilt and the shame about this thought and this action and this. And I don't even know where my future's headed. I mean, what do I do with all of this? You know, the truth is that some people realize... The, the gaze of a being and it, it they can't handle it. They lose it mentally. Others just deny it. It's too much to handle. It's too big of a burden to, to believe that somebody knows everything about you and will hold you accountable to that. So some people choose to say, well, God doesn't exist. There's nothing out like out there. I'm just in charge of myself. I can handle that. Some of this will put people in institutions. But it enslaves us. It enslaves me to having be on my guard to appease this God. How can you live like that? So we don't want him or people to know everything about us. But don't get me wrong. We want to be known. The other part of humanity is that we want to be known. We have to be known. We want to be loved and and noticed. I mean, we want to be noticed. If you don't think we want people in our lives and to be noticed, 
Then just look at the internet. I mean, people share everything. I pulled the biggest hair out of my nose this morning. You know, these kind of things. Or me with my cup of coffee or, you know, me on my vacation. Now, but it's, you're in control of what you put on there, right? You're controlling how you want people to see you. If you want people to think you're really, really funny, you're really gross, you're going to put that stuff out there. Or, or you're really fit, the best poses out there. But you're in control. But we have this need. And you can't love me if you don't know anything about me. So I got to put myself out there in a way to get you to love me. And we want to be recognized. We have to be recognized. We're, a, we're, we're created for community. We were created for one another. And even this morning in Sunday school to consider others as better than ourselves. We have to be thinking about each other. So we want it really both ways. I want to be known. I just don't want you to know everything. We can't take being ignored. We don't want people looking in. I mean, don't don't x-ray me without my permission. Don't probe me without my permission. Because there's things that I don't want you to know. God is looking through that keyhole. It's not very comforting to know that we also live in a technological age where you're pretty much being spied on all the time if you're on the internet. You know that, right? You're collecting as algorithms collects. Every time you get on, you're logging in. There's algorithms that they want to know you intimately. Oh, what are you reading? What are you interested in? What are you buying? Who are your friends? What kind of people you hang out with? Just saying. But we can't have it both ways when we want to be known, but we don't want to be known that intimately and yet God's the omni God and he does know this so what do we do is there a way out of of wanting to be known and loved but yet not wanting to be seen for who we perhaps really are and then lastly David just begins to think about it and first he's terrified and he's sobered and then he says but wait a minute some other lights are going on now wait a minute this could be a really good thing actually the fact that God is the omni-God. Not just terrifying, but liberating, relieving even. Delightful even. It, it can send us into hiding, but it can also bring us out of hiding. As he realizes, well, there's no way to escape this. He applies it to his heart. But then he's thinking about this. And in verse 9, if I... Take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there, your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. And so now David doesn't just see the gazing holy eye of a God, but he sees this God who's using his powers for him in love. He's not using his powers to manipulate and to dehumanize or deflate or disempower. He's using his powers to help and to aid, to guide every step of the way, to protect him from things that he can't protect himself from. God, he sees God holding him everywhere. In every phase of life, in every geographical location. So these, these attributes can be a wonderful, good, sustaining Thing, God will hold me fast. 
I mean, what of his infinite wisdom and collection of data was not used to dehumanize. But was actually used to help me be what God created me to be. To help me get closer to God, to know more about God, to serve his purposes. And then you almost feel the relief in verse 17 where he just says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I didn't want you thinking about me, but now I do want you thinking about me. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. That word uh, precious is the word for uh, describes um, precious metals, gold and silver. It's it's your your thinking about me is of tremendous value to me. Tremendous wealth to my soul, knowing that you're thinking about me. He's no longer recoiling, but he's valuing the omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence of God. And then he concludes this as he applies this doctrine to himself. Search me, O God, verse 23. Know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. It's like David saying, you know, I'm not scared anymore. I'm not scared of your gaze. I'm not scared that you know everything about me. As a matter of fact, I want to be x-rayed. I want to be pro because anything that's in me that would keep me from you, I want it out. And I can't always detect it or see it. But I can count on you, God. You know more than I do. So I welcome you. My heart, my door, my keyhole, everything is just open up as wide as I can get it. You're not my enemy. You're my friend. And I want you to come in and restore me and help me and use those powers in my life to set me free and to overcome. No more cover up. If you see fakery in in me, bring it to my attention. Any kind of deception, any kind of vulnerabilities, any kind of weaknesses, Lord, bring them to my attention so that I can overcome them and be set free by your truth. I want that probing eye because it's an eye of love. Do you see God like that? Now, How many times do we work against him thinking that God is against me? He keeps me from things. Yes, he does. He keeps you from evil. He keeps you from harm. Open your heart to Him. And let Him in and don't hide. He will set you free by transforming you into what you were created to be. The redemption and the restoration by making you your true self. That we can exist for His glory. And it's only these attributes that can bring about what we need most. Salvation. And transformation. So, yeah, he's he's here. He's in the room with us and we're going to break bread together. Yeah, he's there. He promises his presence. When we praise him, he promises his presence. He's in our dark times and he's in our light times. He's in our joy and he's in our suffering and he walks with us. It's disastrous to try to hide from him. It's disastrous to try disastrous to try to escape from the omni God.
because He already knows everything about us. And what do we learn as we come on the heels of Easter? That when He probes and He sees all of the sin, He died for us anyway. Yet, while we were still sinners, He demonstrates His love. Do you think there's something about you that God doesn't already know that turns Him away? That keeps you out of heaven? He already knows about all that stuff. And He loves us. Enough to be willing to die for us so that we can be what we were created to be. Only through faith in Christ Jesus. So let us run to God. Be free in the truths of God. And open that keyhole to the deepest self that He might transform us to be the truest sense of what He created us to be. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning.